So Galatians chapter 3, Lord, we do come, and we ask that you would, um, Lord, just bless this time um, that we have in studying your word. Lord, what has begun in the spirit, we don't want to try to perfect in the flesh. And Lord, um, we know that we don't deserve salvation. It isn't by any effort on our part. It is by faith in Christ alone, in grace alone. Our confidence is in you, in the finished work of the cross. And Lord, we are saved so we can walk in the newness of life. So we can do good works. But it's the work of the spirit, not of the flesh. So I pray that uh, as we look at these verses, it would really just touch our hearts in a deep way and free us up. And Lord, to walk in the liberty that we have in Christ, the grace of Christ, the love of Christ. Lord, I do want to pray this week as uh, we are involved in Operation Christmas Child and everyone who will be this week having this labor of love that, that will be given Lord, towards you as we unload every single shoebox. And Lord, I pray that you would use this ministry, not only for us here at Calvary Chapel, but bless all those who put a shoebox together, the churches, the ministries, the millions of shoeboxes that will go out to needing children all around the world. Um, A little gift, but most of all, to give a presentation of the greatest gift, and that is salvation. So we are thankful that we can be a part of this. And Lord, uh, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your your strength. Be with Gail. uh, Be with all the volunteers, uh, all those who are involved in this process, to the pilots that will be flying shoeboxes all over the world, to those on the ground that will be handing them out. We entrust you with all this. And Lord, I do pray for this Thanksgiving season that even though we go through difficulties and hardships, that Lord, that we can be thankful. That Lord, that we have salvation and forgiveness in your love and the giving of your son. That we know that there is a kingdom that is coming that will last forever. And that one day we will all stand together saying righteous and true are your decisions, are your judgments. Bless this time as we give it to you in the study of the word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you recall, we've been with us in our study in the first two chapters of Galatians, that the Apostle Paul was deeply concerned for the Christians in that area of Galatia. And the reason that he had concern for them was because the believers were being troubled, as he would write in chapter 1, Uh, troubled by the Judaizers, who were Jewish believers. They were legalists, and they were coming behind Paul's ministry as Paul would give the gospel. And then after he left, the Judaizers came in behind Paul. And it was not only to the churches of Galatia, but we know from the New Testament that it was other churches as well, the Gentile churches that were being established on his missionary journeys. And they were telling the Christians that if they really are to be saved, that there needs to be a keeping of the law along with their faith in Jesus Christ. There needs to be circumcision to be justified or declared righteous before God. And we are seeing in the first two chapters that Paul has been defending this 
gospel of grace that he had brought to them. He would talk about the source of the gospel. He would say to them that it wasn't taught to him by man. He didn't make it up. It didn't come from man, but it was revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. That was chapter 1. And then last time in chapter 2, we read in verse 16. It was one of the most important verses that we have in the epistle, and that is knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that as chapters 1 and 2, Paul, given his personal testimony, how he was one that, that came out of a life that he put himself under the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He advanced in Judaism. And we know historically that Paul was taught by Gamaliel, who was called the beauty of the law. You can read about Gamaliel with the council there when they are persecuting the apostles or spreading Jesus and the name of Jesus and the gospel throughout Jerusalem. And Paul was one that was advanced in Judaism. He was one that he writes a, a very uh, intriguing statement at the end of chapter 1. He said, I tried to destroy the church. We know that Acts chapter 8, that he caused havoc on the church. That has the meaning of a, you know, a wild animal just going on a rampage, like a shark after blood. He persecuted the church very heavily, and then he was separated. He says, the Lord separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to give this gospel of grace. So he's defending this gospel, which is the gospel. There's not two gospels. And he would discuss, as you remember in chapter 2, how him and Barnabas and Titus, the guys in the Antioch, that was the missionary church that was going to the Gentile churches there early in Paul's ministry. They went up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles there. And he says, those of reputation, those who are esteemed. And he said, it makes no difference to me because God shows no personal favoritism. But he defended the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And he would rebuke Peter, actually, to his face because Peter was one, a pillar in the faith. And, and think about this. Peter, who was one that took the gospel to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, the Roman centurion. And in that, we know that uh, it was Cornelius and his household that got saved. Paul then went to Jerusalem. The Jewish believers are going, you went into the home of a Gentile. You ate with them. And Peter defended giving the gospel to them. So he defended the gospel of grace. But then Peter began to struggle. And I think it was a real struggle in the early church of them, you know, coming to the conclusion and acceptance that the church was going to consist of both Jews and Gentiles, and it is by faith alone. It's not by the works of the law. And Peter would go up to Antioch to see the Gentile Christians. You know those Christians were excited because here's a pillar of the faith, a leader in the early church. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He, he witnessed the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Lord. He watched the, the Lord ascend into heaven, and he preached there on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 got saved, and that was the birth of the church. He stood boldly before the religious leaders, and they, uh, Peter, along with the other apostles, were persecuted, and he would go to Cornelius to give the gospel to that Roman centurion. And you would think that the issue was settled, but he goes up to Antioch, and he's fellowshipping with the Gentile believers. But then Paul said those who were associated with James, these legalists, came in, and he withdrew from them. 
And Barnabas got caught up. So Paul, in defending this gospel of grace, he says, makes no difference to me if they are men of reputation because God shows personal favoritism to no one. And by your actions, Peter, as he speaks about that time where he confronted Peter, that you're having a negative effect on these Christians. You're fellowshipping with them, and then all of a sudden you're afraid of these Judaizers, and you are given the wrong message, and that is you have to be Jewish in order to be saved, as well as faith in Jesus Christ. So all that that we've looked at is he defends the doctrine of grace. Now as we move into chapters 3 and 4, he's going to give the doctrine of grace. And then in the last two chapters, 5 and 6, he will speak about how we walk in grace, personal application concerning grace. So let's begin to look at Galatians chapter 3 as we read in verse 1, that, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He says, O foolish Galatians. Now, Paul is not saying this to them to make fun of them, or to tear them down, or I'm going to get in this little dig, or to, you know, he's not name-calling here. He cared about these Christians. And he's saying, you're being foolish. You haven't been thinking this through. Now, I think that most of us, if not all of us, and certainly the longer that we live, that we've done things in life. We've made decisions, or we've gone in a certain direction, or we bought things we didn't really think it through. Maybe it was a car that we bought or, or uh, 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 you know, something that we got involved in or a decision that we made. And we look back at it and we can realize I didn't really think it through. And, and I was foolish in that. And I think that all of us can kind of relate to that and have done that in our lifetime. So what the apostle is going to do in this epistle now is walk them through this gospel of grace step by step. You Galatians are foolish and you have been bewitched or your thinking has been very clouded. It's so unbiblical that it seems as though some kind of spell has been cast over you. It refers to flattery words that have been used to deceive them from the truth. And you're foolish for believing that false gospel. That a man is justified by faith in Christ Jesus plus the works of the law. Mainly that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Now, sometimes uh, we can talk to others. Uh, we've known others in our lives. And we can relate to what Paul is saying here. Maybe perhaps that you've talked to somebody that we know that they heard the gospel. Maybe they even grew up in the church, went to Sunday school, went to youth group, you know, was involved in church and, and reading their Bibles. And all of a sudden, somebody brings this false and deceptive teaching to them, and they begin to believe it. It's like they've been bewitched. They know the truth of the gospel, but all of a sudden their thinking begins to be clouded because that individual or those group of people or the message that they're hearing is so convincing. It's nice that you believe in Jesus, but there's other ways to heaven. There's other saviors. Who are you to say that Jesus is the only way? There's works that need to be added to faith if you really are to be saved. And we can get caught up in that. And it really concerns me and grieves me how many Christians have been swayed into and convinced into believing that which is false. This false gospel, another gospel, into the deception of the cults. When you read about those who join Mormonism or Jehovah Witnesses, or something like that. And there's so many cults that are out there today, you can't keep track of them. 
but they bring another gospel. Hey, there's this gospel that we're going to bring another gospel called the Book of Mormon or a message of works and, and denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They can be so convincing, and I've known Christians that grew up in a church that ended up converting because I remember one guy I was talking to that grew up in the church, and he said, I'm going to join the Mormon church. I don't know if I really believe all their stuff, but they promised me a wife if I joined the church. And, and it can be a message that's pleasing to the flesh or convincing them or taking them away. They're not grounded. So the converts to those cults oftentimes are people that have some kind of church background. And that's why it's so important that we take to heart what John writes in his epistle, that we need to test the spirits to see if they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to be like the Bereans that Paul would mention there on his second missionary journey. They searched the scriptures to be if these things be so. So Paul here, he writes, Galatians, you're being foolish. You have been bewitched to where you do not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So what does Paul mean by that? Uh, the words clearly portrayed, it means to write for a public reading. So in those days, obviously, they didn't you know, have pamphlets or you know, printing presses. They didn't have newscasts. They didn't have social media. They didn't have any of those things. So if some news was to go out, there would be this public posting in, an, in a city or in a village. They would actually write the message down. They would post it to where everybody could see it. It was in the public square. And the message was written and posted so where people can come, they can read it, and they can understand what the message was saying. And what Paul is simply saying here in chapter 3 is, I was that way with you in the message of the gospel, the gospel of grace that I gave to you. The message was very clear, Christ crucified, and that a man is justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law. And the reason that I made that message clear is because that is the gospel. There's no other gospel. Remember in chapter 1 that Paul said, I marvel that you move away from the gospel to another gospel, which is not the gospel. In other words, there's not two gospels. There's not three gospels. There's one gospel message. And that's why he met with the leadership in Jerusalem, because he didn't want the, the Christians, Jewish or Gentile, to think that, well, there's a gospel for the Jews and there's a gospel for the Gentiles. No, there's one gospel that brings Jew and Gentile together in this thing called the church, into salvation, into the body of Christ. So he made it clear, given the truth. So Galatians, who are bewitching you? Who is influencing you? Why are you being troubled, tricked into believing a false gospel? Why are you being foolish? Think about what it is that you're doing. Because you've made a foolish decision. You're not being discerning. And Paul doesn't want to just leave them in that place, but then he begins to thoroughly teach them, once again, this doctrine of grace. To get them thinking clearly, once again. To get them established in the truth. Let's continue in verse 2. As we read this only, I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I want you to think about this as he writes this rhetorical question. Tell me. Did you receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law? That is, you earned it, or was it by faith? When you heard the gospel given to you, proclaimed to you clearly. 
And the Holy Spirit drew you to the Lord, spoke to your heart, opened up your eyes spiritually, and you came to Jesus by faith. You knew by faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins, died and rose again after three days. Are you going to be foolish enough to think that you Gentiles, it is when you came under the law, under works, and you go to be circumcised, you have that operation? There's a cutting of the flesh, and and as soon as the cut is made, you receive the Holy Spirit because of that? So Paul is writing, do you really believe that that's how it works? Do you really believe that? And he says, no. You receive the Spirit by faith, not by putting yourselves under the works of the law. You were born again by the Spirit of God when you heard the gospel and that you received it. And he continues writing in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Now, in life, we can be good starters, can't we? We start a project. We, we have a goal. There's something we want to do, and we can be good starters, but we're not always good finishers. Matter of fact, in a couple weeks, that some of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us, we're going to be making New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to read my Bible more. Um, I'm going to pray more, or I'm going to start this project, or I have this goal. And those who study such things, I don't know how exactly they know, but they say that most people that make New Year's resolutions by the time January comes to the end, they've already broken it. You know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise more. Whatever the case may be, go to bed earlier. And we can be good starters, but we're not good finishers. I, in my own devotion over the last couple months, it really kind of stood out with me going through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, those historical books that speak of the kings of Judah. How many of them started out well? Uh, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but they didn't finish well. I think about Solomon. All of us know about Solomon. He was one that when he first came to the throne, the son of David, that God asked him, Solomon, what is it that you want? And Solomon, in his humility, he said, listen, I don't know my coming in and my going out. This is a great nation. I'm young. I need wisdom. And the Lord was pleased with that. So Solomon was known for having the wisdom of God. But Solomon didn't always use that wisdom or live in that wisdom. And true wisdom, godly wisdom, is not only knowing what God's word says, but living it out in your life. Well, we know that in Deuteronomy it says that the king is not to multiply gold. He multiplied gold. The king is not to multiply horses. Solomon multiplied horses. Matter of fact, when we go to Israel next year, we will see some of the ruins of the excavations that they've done of the stables that Solomon had, some of those stables had as many as four or 500 horses. That's like having a warehouse full of luxury cars. He wasn't to multiply wives. He had 1,000 wives and concubines. Some of those wives were, had pagan beliefs, and Solomon would burn incense to those pagan gods and built altars. And it had such a negative, devastating effect on the nation because it introduced idol worship once again. So he didn't do so well. He didn't really live in the wisdom of God. I think about Asa. Asa was the king of Judah that a million-man army came against him. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, help us. And And the Lord did and delivered Asa and Judah from that massive army that came against them.
And the Lord said to Asa, believe in me and I'll be with you. If you forsake me, then it's going to be bad news for you, Asa. And we know that he continued to follow after the Lord for 35 years. And then in the 36th year of his reign, this is what happened. It was Israel, the house of Israel, that came to the border of Judah. They were a threat to Judah. They, they were going to attack Judah. Asa came up with the plan. He came up with his own plan. He got a hold of the king of Syria that was north of Israel. He says, can you guys attack Israel? And then they'll have to leave me alone and go up and deal with you guys. And the king of Syria decided to do that. So it was a brilliant plan. It ended up working, but he didn't seek the Lord. And it was the prophet that came to Asa and said, Asa, how is it that you trusted the Lord when the million-man Ethiopian army came against you, but you did not seek him in this crisis, during this situation? You came up with your own plan. The Lord wanted to work on your behalf. And by the way, Asa, that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to, t- to test those whose hearts are loyal towards him. And it is true for us today. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to just look for the heart that is loyal towards him. And Asa threw that prophet that said that in jail because he was so angry at him. And then Asa got leprosy in his feet. And I'll tell you one sure way to be defeated in your Christian life. You start depending on your own understanding. You start figuring everything out in your own way. I'm confident in me. I'll come up with a plan. You know, I'll devise a plan. I'll make a way that this can work. And we're not seeking the Lord. That's something that happened with Jacob. Jacob, the heel snatcher, always coming up with a plan. Resourceful, always planning. You know, here's how I can get the birthright. Here's how I can get the blessing. That's why he was called Jacob, which means deceiver, heel snatcher. Always trying to figure things out. He was the kind of guy that any firm on Wall Street street would love to have always resourceful figuring things out until one day that he's got his brother coming at him with 400 men and then he's got his uncle Laban behind him who said don't come back or I'm going to kill you and he's at the brook Jabbok and he can't go forward he can't come backwards he can't come up with the plan and the Lord comes to him and he's wrestling with the Lord and the Lord touched his hip and it came out of socket and said, now, instead of being called heel snatcher, you're going to be called Israel, governed by God. You see, that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to govern us. He wants to lead us and guide us. And particularly, I'll speak for myself, at my stage of life and 30 years of ministry, I can begin to become confident in, in ministry and moving forward, and I know how to do it, and this is how we do it, and Stop seeking the Lord and stop looking to him and being open to the leading of the Lord and and having a fresh work or whatever it may be that the Lord wants to do. So Asa, he didn't finish well. And you can look down the line, Joash in 2 Chronicles. He was seven years old. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and and got rid of the, the places of idol worship. Well, later on in his reign, when Jehoiada, the priest that had such a godly influence on him, died, he began to accept those false worshipers and worship 
false worship came back into the land. He didn't finish well. Uzziah, Uzziah, as you read about him, he reigned over 50 years. He brought the nation into strength, and he was an inventor of military weaponry. He was one that fortified the cities. He had new technology and agriculture. The nation was strong. And at the end of his life, he goes into the king Uzziah, into the temple. Kings weren't supposed to go into the temple, only the priests. And he's burning incense there at the altar. And the priests come in and said, Uzziah, you can't do that. You're a king. Only the priests are allowed here. And he said, bug off in his pride and in his arrogance, and he ended up dying of leprosy. So we can be good starters, but we also want to continue in what has been started, and that's what Paul's talking about here. That you begun in the spirit. Why do you want to try to be perfected in the flesh? Are you so foolish? And he asked him this question. You receive salvation by believing the gospel. The Holy Spirit revealed in you, convicted you of your need for the Savior Jesus Christ, and you have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit referenced 18 times in these last four chapters. So to receive and continue in grace, there is the role of the Holy Spirit. So what has begun in the Spirit, do you think that you'll improve on that by a working of the flesh? Are we so foolish that we're going to try to make ourselves complete by the works of the flesh instead of continue faith in abiding in Jesus? It is the works of the flesh. Is that going to save us? No. So is it the works of the flesh that's going to grow us and mature us and conform us in the image of Christ? Or is it the Spirit of God that's going to do that work in us? So Paul asked the question, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to try to be made perfect by the flesh? Your salvation and your sanctification is based on the keeping of the law, is what you're saying? Then what you're saying, listen, that you are blessed and will grow spiritually by earning and deserving it. By saying, God, you owe me because I did this work. You owe me salvation. You owe me blessing. God's word says that God is a debtor to no man. It is grace that says, I am saved and sanctified. I will be blessed and grow spiritually by believing and receiving. Big difference. I mean, do we really think that we can stand before a holy, righteous God and say, here's my righteousness? The one who knows every thought that we ever thought. Every action that we ever did. Did I deserve salvation? When we know the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've all fallen short. And I am so grateful that when I do stand before him, even as Jude declares that the him who is able to keep us from stumbling will present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. It's one of my favorite verses. And I think that I'm going to stand before the Lord faultless, and it isn't because of me. It isn't because of me. It's because of him who went to the cross and cried out, it is finished, has imputed that righteousness to me. I've been forgiven, and now I have a new heart. The Holy Spirit, Christ living in my heart, the Holy Spirit dwelling in my heart. Do we understand that? And I know on that day that I will not stand alone, that I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous who will be there, who paid the penalty for me, 
And I am so grateful for that. We don't earn salvation. It's a gift. We receive it. We continue believing. And as we do that, living in his wonderful love and knowing that we're in a hopeless state without him, what he's provided for us. And when we believe in Christ Jesus, it's going to affect the way that we live, isn't it? Yeah. Because we walk in a newness of life. We're dead to sin. And as Paul said last week, I'm dead to the law that I might live for him. It is him who lives in me. He's the one who sits on the throne of my heart. He gives me the power and the ability to live the life that he wants me to live by the working of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you try to do it in your own flesh, you or me, we will fail. We will fail. And you'll be up and down spiritually And I've had many people come in my office going, I don't know if I'm saved because I had a bad week or I've been struggling in this. And they begin to wonder if God even loves them, if there's forgiveness available for them because they're basing it on performance. Listen, if there's sin, stop. Turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Repent. And he'll give you the power to continue on in living in the way that he wants you to. But you can't do it in your own efforts. Are you so foolish Galatian believers trying to, holy, you know, to be holy and righteous in your own works of the flesh and not the work of the Spirit? Perhaps you've talked to somebody and they say, oh, I'm a Christian. And you say, oh, really? Why are you a Christian? Oh, because I observed the Sabbath or I was baptized or I did this thing or I go to that church. And they put their confidence in the work that they did rather in what Christ has done for them. And it is by faith that we are saved and we walk in faith. It is the Spirit of God working in us that causes us to do good works. It is the Spirit of God that changes us. Having begun in the Spirit, are you going to now try to be made perfect by the flesh? Of course not. But I believe that this is an application not only for us personally, but I really believe this is an application for us corporately as a church. You see, many movements of God that were just revivals of God started out with God working through a man. And those revivals would bring different denominations. You can look at church history that God was working and the missionary work and the gospel being proclaimed. But then over time, and I'm not saying this to be critical and have a spirit of criticism, it's just an honest evaluation, that many of those denominations that started out with a, by a work of the spirit is now a work of the flesh. They denied the gospel. They abandoned the word of God. They you know, have adopted another gospel, progressive theology that has come in, uh, all kinds of things that have happened. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is I don't want that to happen here at Calvary Chapel. What has begun in the Spirit. And I remember almost 27 years ago in January when we came up, you know, we were so excited. And we came up because it was prayer. There was a family that was praying for Calvary Chapel to come. We want a Calvary Chapel, a church that's going to teach through the Bible. And we sensed the calling of God. And we came up and bought a little stool from Hugh M. Woods. I did $200 guitar and a Bible. That's what we started out with. And then we got, after being in the home for about four months, we said, well, we need to get a little facility. And God led us to that. It's just a little place. 
And I remember that there was one time, there were a couple times, but one time in particularly, I was thinking, Lord, we, we can't pay the rent tomorrow. It's due tomorrow. I can't pay the electric bill. So I guess we're done. And I just said, Lord, I've told the people already that where you guide, you provide. And I'm just going to trust you. And literally five minutes later, a guy knocks on the door and he says, you know, I forgot to be in church and I just want to bless you with this check. And we were able to pay the rent, pay the electric bill. And there is such a dependency upon the Lord and everything that we've done. And I want to continue that way. And as I said, we can come to the place, and I can come to the place of my ministry where I know how to do ministry. You know, we got enough people, you know, you know the budget and all of that. I don't want to trust in those things. I want to trust in him and be open to what he wants to do and dependent upon him. And we do have needs. You know, even this year, we had to get the roof fixed, $100,000 to get this roof fixed. So it's not leaking on you guys over there in the corner, you know, when it rains and stuff like that. And we just, okay, Lord, you provide for those things. And I know sometimes people say, you need a bigger building and uh, parking's a hassle and all this. Well, those are, I, I get it. I understand and I appreciate your patience. But we're going to trust in the Lord. Where he guides, he provides. And I mean that. I'm not going to start these campaigns and thermometers in the foyer area, you know. And We'll trust him. And honestly, I don't think any of you are coming because of the building. I hope not. You're coming because you're being fed. And because there's the love of Christ that's here. And I'm grateful for what we have. And we'll use it to the max and... And the Lord wants us to go somewhere else. We'll pray about it and we'll depend on him. Do you see what I'm saying? Don't have to strive and struggle and strain and try to make things happen. Plus, I'm terrible in trying to make things happen. I just end up blowing it up and things like that. <laughs> what has begun in the spirit, don't try to perfect in the flesh. Let's be dependent on God in our own lives as a church, not on our own strength. It's not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of God and have you suffered so many things as we continue reading in vain? For if indeed it was in vain, Acts chapter 14, what you read is that Paul and Barnabas were going to go back and check on the churches once again. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So apparently the Christians there in Galatia had suffered persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul, we know he suffered persecution a lot in his ministry, even in Lystra, that church in Galatia, where he was stoned and left for dead. So did you experience the tribulations, as Paul here is reminding them, that you suffered because of walking after the law, which they didn't even know the law? Or was it because of your faith in Jesus Christ? Don't let your suffering be in vain. And then verse 5, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So another rhetorical question that is here, the apostle asking them to examine the source of the Spirit's work. He worked miracles among them. Again, we know those miracles are recorded in Acts chapter 14, and it was clear that the work of the Holy Spirit among the believers, through the believers, was not a result of the work of the law. 
Again, they didn't know the law, but rather as a result of hearing that leads to faith, the gospel message of justification by faith. So when did God do those miracles? When you were sinners saved by grace? Or was it when you began to follow rituals and rules? So Paul had told these Christians of Galatia to continue in faith, not in the law. When Paul was writing to the church of Colossae later on, in chapter 2, he would say, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So how did we receive him? By faith. So continue to do that. And the Holy Spirit working in our lives for sanctification, working in you and through you and I because of faith and because of his grace. I've seen God work miracles. I've seen God do healings, work in amazing ways um, that you know it was only God and his divine working. But I'll tell you the greatest miracle of all is you. Is you, a changed heart. Many of us that were so caught up in the world and caught up in sin and darkness, we've been brought out of that, and now we have a new heart and walk in that newness of life because of what Christ has done. So continue to walk in his love and in his grace. Continue to walk in faith. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. Amen? Okay, amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this important message that, that we need to hear and be established in. So, Lord, I thank you for the coming of Christ in our lives. I thank you for the work of the cross that Jesus did and finished that work of a redemption through Calvary, through his resurrection, and it now gives us a living hope. And I pray that as we receive it, that we would just continue in it. That, Lord, that as we have a newness of heart, a newness of life, we identify with you, that you would help us to live for you through the work of the Spirit. That our Christian life and journey and belief is in you, based on you, not in performance. And Lord, we were created for good works. And I pray that you would enable us to do those good works as we walk in your love. And I just want to pray for anyone who is here listening on live stream or on the radio later that perhaps you've never come to Christ. Maybe you're trying to be religious. and Religion won't save you. A relationship with Jesus Christ will. One who says, I'm a sinner in need of Jesus in the cross of Calvary to be forgiven and to yield my life to him as Lord and Savior. That as you do that, he will hear your cry if you're sincere in your heart. And you can be born again by the Spirit of God. Call out to him right now. You can pray that Jesus, I come to you, a sinner, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. You rose again. Now I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love for me. 
And I just want to live in that love. And Lord, just do a work by your Holy Spirit to help me live a life after you, pleasing to you for good works. So Lord, I thank you for your word and the gospel of grace. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. Just walking with you and knowing you and a work of the Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit that he's working in us and in through us. Living in that freedom, freedom to live for Christ, free from sin. Because not only have you freed us from sin, but the power of sin in our lives and that sanctifying work that you desire to do in our hearts, yielded to you and abiding in Christ. So I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.